Our first Bible reading comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 19. It's Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 19, the first 19 verses of the Bible. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees in the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be, the, be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And if you could turn with me again to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and the very first chapter. And I'm going to be reading on or following on from our reading before, so that's picking it up at verse 20. So that's Genesis chapter 1 and verse 20. Let's hear from God's word. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. 
And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has that, the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Well, friends, as we take a closer look at God's wonderful word, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful word. Father, we thank you that we can gather here this morning as your people to sit under it and hear it and so be changed, edified, rebuked and ultimately made more like your Son. Father, that work could not happen without the the work of your Holy Spirit, so I pray that he would be working among us Uh, this morning as we look into your wonderful word. And Father, we commit this time to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In 1814, a Russian poet called Ivan Krylov wrote a little tale that went like this. An inquisitive man was one day met by a friend. Good morning, my good fellow, and where have you been? From the Museum of Natural History, where I've just spent most of the day. Nature is certainly wonderful in her rich variety. There are more birds and beasts than I ever dreamed of, not to mention the butterflies, dragonflies and beetles, some green as emeralds and others as red as coral. And there were tiny gnats too, some smaller than the head of a pin. Yes, yes, his friend said, and what about the elephant? What did you think of him? I'll wager you felt as though you were looking at a mountain. Elephant? Are you sure they have one of those? Quite sure. Well, old friend, don't tell anybody, but the fact is I did not see the elephant.
And so, friends, thanks to this obscure Russian poet, the term, the elephant in the room, was born. But over time, it has changed a little, hasn't it? As it is now used to describe something not accidentally missed, but intentionally missed, very deliberately ignored, thanks to the controversy the elephant might create if it's pointed out. Now, friends, if you're not quite sure where I'm going with all of this, here it is. The start of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, contains a pretty big elephant in the room for Christians. And that elephant, of course, is whether the opening chapter of the Bible should be read in a a figurative, metaphorical sort of a way or very much literally just how it is said. And such is the controversy that this can potentially stir up amongst the congregation that some of my favourite preachers out there online who have been in the pulpit for decades have never actually done a sermon on Genesis chapter 1 or if they have, they've never actually put it up online. And friends, although I understand why, after all, who wants to stir up controversy? Although that's a fear... I don't want to go through my time here at this great church and sidestep certain passages based on that emotion. As such, the first thing we're going to do today as we begin our series in Genesis is address the elephant in the room. Now, This means our time together this morning is going to look a little bit different than a normal sermon. That is, rather than going through verse by verse through the passage, which is our normal practice, Instead, we're going to focus our attention in on the elephant. And I'm going to explain to you why my personal conviction is it should have have written across it L-I-T-E-R-A-L, literal. And just so you know exactly what I mean by that, I mean I believe Genesis 1 is assuring us despite many other assurances out there that our world and everything in it was created by God in six normal standard days. Now, friends, while my conviction on this is considered somewhat controversial, not simply outside the church but also inside the church as well, it hasn't always been that way. Now, how do I know this? Well, back in the 17th century, a bunch of very godly men got together to put down on paper what a good chunk of the Protestant church believed about the Bible. Now, the finished work is called the Westminster Confession of Faith, a confession us Prezies and many other evangelical churches are pretty fond of to this day. Now, understanding this, what does the Westminster Confession say concerning Genesis 1 and how it should be understood? Well, friends, the English is a little bit archaic, but let's have a listen. In chapter 6 of the Westminster Confession, it says this, It pleased God the Father, Son and Holy Ghost for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power wisdom and goodness in the beginning to create or make of nothing the world 
and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. Now, friends, for some people, this statement alone is enough for them to say, okay, well, if the Westminster Confession says it, that's it. That's good enough for me. Case closed. But the truth is the Westminster Confession of Faith is a statement put together by godly men, yes, but also fallible men. In other words, the Westminster Confession, just like every other book apart from the Bible, contains errors. And so is that true of the sentence that we just read out? Friends, we're now going to put chapter 6 of the confession under the microscope to find out how we do that. Well, the first line again, have a listen. It pleased God the Father, Son and Holy Ghost. And on it goes. In other words, we're told each person of the Trinity testified to the six-day creation. So let's test that out. Let's see what each member of the Godhead says about the opening of the Bible. So where do we begin our investigation? Well, I reckon a pretty good place to start is the other book in the Bible, the only other book in the Bible that starts exactly the same way as Genesis. And that book, of course, is the Gospel of John. In the beginning, he begins. Now, why does John start off like that? Why does he link us back to Genesis when his topic is all about Jesus? Well, friends, to assure us, unlike us, Jesus was around right before his birth or before his birth, unlike us. Full sentence, have a listen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now when it comes to understanding how we read Genesis chapter 1, John's words here are pretty important to say the least. Because friends, he's telling us not only was Jesus right there at the beginning, but because Jesus is the Word, John is telling us it was him who spoke the creation into being. And to make doubly sure we don't miss that truth, verse 3 of John chapter 1, have a listen. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians, by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Now friends, understanding this awesome truth about Jesus, wouldn't it be great to hear a word from the word about Genesis chapter 1 and how he understands it. Well, that moment actually happens in Matthew chapter 19. Have a listen. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus replies with this, 
Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now friends, if we hit the pause button right there, to answer their question, Jesus begins by taking the Pharisees straight to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. Now why start there? Well, because the foundation, the bedrock to understanding human relationships, particularly the most important relationship of all, marriage, is found right there. And why there? Well, because from the beginning, i.e. from the very start, God made them, says Jesus. And then he gave them to each other in marriage. Now friends, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He is using the reality of the creation and the creation week to build his case. The truth that when the earth was first formed, less than a week old, there wasn't a slime pit waiting for a lightning bolt to sort of kick things off. Now, according to Jesus, in that very first week, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, well, it happened just as described. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. These two, as Jesus goes on to say, were then given in marriage. Now, at this point, do the Pharisees begin to scoff and laugh at Jesus' literal interpretation of the creation? Well, friends, no, they don't. They immediately change the subject because there was no dispute about this. Now, this tells us Jesus' understanding of how and when we were created was not an outlier amongst God's people, but the norm. Now, some people today might come back and say, okay, okay, fair enough. But Jesus doesn't actually speak directly about the days. And that's what we're talking about here. So does that topic ever come up? Well, friends, while it doesn't in the New Testament, it does in the Old. Exodus, in the book that follows Genesis, tells the story, doesn't it, of how God calls Moses to save his people out of slavery. Having done so, Yahweh God then leads them through the Red Sea and straight to Mount Sinai. Once there, Moses is called to the top of the mountain and there he is given the Ten Commandments, isn't he? The fourth of these concerns the Sabbath, in which Yahweh God says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. What's the reason for this particular pattern of work and rest? Well, God tells Israel clearly as he continues, chapter 20 and verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. 
Now, friends, speaking on this verse, in his excellent commentary, Philip Ryken says this, There are many good reasons for keeping the Sabbath. It promotes worship of God. It restores and rejuvenates us both spiritually and physically. But our fundamental reason for obeying the fourth commandment is not practical but theological. God made the world in six days and then rested. And he calls on us or his people to reflect that pattern. And so, friends, we see when the topic of the creation week comes up, it's clearly understood as six normal days. And Israel's working week was to be an ongoing reflection and testimony of this very fact out to the world. So stepping back, this is where we're at. When the son refers to Genesis chapter 1, he understands it literally. When the father refers to Genesis Genesis chapter 1, he does the very same. So what about God the Holy Spirit? Because as we read before from the confession, it also states that he agrees with this as well. So where do we go to hear him speak on the matter? Well, the Apostle Peter in his second letter is pretty helpful here. Have a listen. He writes, No prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, friends, all the words in the Bible are just as authoritative as direct quotes from the Father and the Son because they are all inspired by the third member of the Trinity. So what does the Holy Spirit have to say on the matter then? Well, friends, as there are 66 books inspired by him, there is plenty of material for us to look through. For example, in the New Testament alone, there are 60 direct quotes or references to Genesis 1 through to verse 11. Now, while we don't have time to go through all 60 of those, we do have time to hit a few. So let's start with the gospel. Dr. Luke, Luke the doctor, begins by making a commitment, doesn't he, to an orderly account to an interested sort of bystander or seeker called Theophilus. And so to build his case for, for Theophilus, Luke carefully documents Jesus' genealogy. And as he does, he begins with Joseph, writing, Joseph was the son of Heli, who was the son of Mathat. And on and on Luke goes in that same pattern until he reaches Adam. So who was Adam the son of? Well, Luke tells us in chapter 3, verse 37, Adam was the son of God. Now, why does Luke say that? Well, friends, because Adam had no earthly father or mother. That's why. His arrival on earth came directly by the hand of God, just as Genesis tells us. Now, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, fills in the picture a little bit more, writing in 1 Timothy 2.13, Adam was formed first, then Eve. 
And then over in Acts 17, Paul corrects the Athenian belief in an early form of evolution by saying this, from one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the entire earth. Let me say that again. From one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. Now, Paul also believed in the original sin, exactly as presented. If you're taking notes, jot down 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3 and have a look later on. Suffice to say, again and again, whenever the beginning comes up, it is always, always taken literally. This also includes the other chapters we'll be covering in our series in Genesis as well, like the flood. Now, did Peter believe that the waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of 20 feet? Genesis 7, 7, 20. Well, let's have a listen to what he says in his second letter and you be the judge. Long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Friends, we could keep going, but I think we now have enough information to say the men who composed the Westminster Confession, although fallible, did not err when they wrote their statement on creation. They landed on a literal interpretation because as we've seen, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit all testified to this. And yet the pushback, the strong, strong pushback against this Now, why is that the case? Well, I thought long and hard about this during the week and so here are some of my my thoughts for you to consider. For many years when I first became a Christian, I actually didn't take Genesis chapter 1 or the following chapters literally at all. And that's because whenever I read the first chapter, other voices interpretive voices spoke at me as I read through it. Based on such and such, this is how you understand that passage. Based on this other thing over here, this is how you understand that verse. Now, friends, it's true, these other voices are always there at some level whenever we read the Bible. But in the early pages of Genesis, the volume gets dialed right up to the maximum, doesn't it? But if we could hit the mute button and stop all of that other chatter, if we could come to the Bible, as Jesus says, with the trust, faith and ears of a little child, and in that frame simply let these first chapters speak, well, I put it to you, there would be no controversy at all around Genesis chapter 1. Now, what's my point? Simply this, as we begin our journey through Genesis, it's important to remember that as Christians, we believe this book that we call the Bible is no ordinary book. It's a gift to us from our Creator. This is His word to us from start 
to finish. Now, what does that mean? It means while there is error in every other book, as we just mentioned, this one is the unvarnished truth. As such, we need to let God's word speak above and over all other voices. And when in doubt, let the rest of the scriptures be our interpreter. Now, why is that such a challenge for us? Well, because, friends, we are fallen, rebellious creatures in a fallen, rebellious world that hates the truth. And if that isn't bad enough, there's an opposing voice out there as well, an adversary who's going to come on the scene very, very shortly. And as we'll see, his number one goal is to deceive. It's to distort the truth, to doubt God at his word, to separate us from him. And so his words to Eve. Did God really say? Now, friends, this snake is still around today and he hasn't changed tact. Why is there so much noise when we read Genesis chapter 1? Well, because if Satan can get us to doubt the very foundation then he knows he is well on his way to bringing down the entire house. But as your minister, the one entrusted to teach God's word, this is what I say to that. Don't buy the lie. The foundation from the beginning was built precisely as God said it was. Any other foundation, any other alternative, no matter how well-sounding, has knock-on effects for the rest of the Bible. Some of these, I believe, are truly catastrophic. And so, friends, my commitment to you as we begin is to uphold the foundation as presented and understood by the rest of Scripture and then look at each chapter after that with the very same mindset. By doing this, we will see how the real, very real flesh and blood, Adam and Eve, very truly in a moment in time rebelled and fell, setting up the conditions for the very real, very true second Adam to come and having arrived, die a very real redeeming death that we might really and truly one day be with him again. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful word. Our Lord, as we start this wonderful new series in Genesis, we recognise the controversy, the elephant in the room, all the opposing voices that speak against Genesis chapter 1 and taking it just as read. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to discern truth from error, to understand as the, the... the composers of the Westminster 
understood that the rest of the Bible interprets Genesis 1 literally and not figuratively. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us if we don't see it that way to come back at your word and have another look at it. Our Heavenly Father, we always want to be challenged by your word to be teachable, to grow. And may that happen through this series, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name.